you know, we used to have a phrase we used back in the day. We want to be the first call for help when the yeah. mayors and the and the social workers and the principals and the police chiefs and the and there's a crisis in the community. We wanted one of the 365 people, the people that are on the ground, boots on the ground every day to go. You know what? I don't know who to call, but I know I can call North Star. Wow. And you only get there by serving. And so I remember those first days going out saying, hey, we want to, what can we do for you? And I remember the look people would give me like, nobody's ever asked me that before. We, we want to serve you. We want to help you. We want to make make this place a little bit better. But back then, man, it was like deer in the headlights. People, we've heard that before. Now we're going to ask you guys to prove it. That was those beginning days, but it was a strategy and it was intentional. No doubt about it. From the nonprofit organization Orphan Aid Liberia, this is the Love Period Podcast, a show about the story of leaders, creators, groundbreakers, and pioneers currently leading movements or organizations who focus on serving other people who, at some point, they had to lift up their anchor and step out in faith into the unknown to where they are today. I'm your host, Jacob Burson, and on this episode of the Love Period Podcast, we're going to talk to Mike Lynch, the founding and current pastor of North Star Church in Kennesaw, Georgia. Not only is Mike the leader of North Star Church, a church known for serving and helping people with no strings attached, he is also a high school baseball pitching coach, a sports chaplain, a guest chaplain for the Atlanta Falcons, a frequent leader found in college conference rooms and locker rooms and classrooms in business halls all over the place. Today, we're going to hear Mike's story about how he went from being a college baseball pitcher to starting one of the most biblically successful churches in all of America. So y'all come on and join us with this great conversation with Mike Lynch. We can't really say how how great it is for us uh, to have Mike on with us today. So Mike, thanks for joining us here on the Love Period Podcast, episode number two. How you doing? Man, I love it, Jacob. It is an honor to be on with you guys, and I appreciate you. And, uh, man, just even inviting me, man, I'm honored. Yeah, it was uh, one of those things, Mike, this this idea of this podcast came along, um, you know, in our meetings at Orphan Aid Liberia, we were just, every week we would talk about something we had heard from somebody's podcast. And each podcast, they're, you know, they're different because um, they all float on the whoever's hosting the podcast to come from a different perspective. and. Uh, it was one of those things where just the timing of everything was laying out of how somebody makes a decision to go from a place of uh, they can feel that they're called to go move, to do something. Um, and this Love Period podcast is one that's, that is that point of what was that tilt or like we say, lifting our anchor to get us out of where we were to pursue what it is we believe God's called us to. And just talking about your leadership podcast, your name kept coming up like, Hey, listen, we got to have Mike, got to have Mike on the podcast. That's awesome, man. Well, it's, it's good to be on the receiving end, not the giving of the questions in. So that makes it a little easier actually. All right. So here kind of something that we start off from the beginning, kind of like calisthenics, you know, doing a little bit of stretching, a little, little static stretching here, a little dynamic stretching, getting the muscles loose. Uh, this is a kind of a rapid fire question seg- uh, segment nothing major i'm not going to throw you major off your game but may have to dig a little bit to think all right shoot it okay here we go mike what was your first car 
My first car was a Honda Civic, a beautiful four-door boxy 1985 Honda Civic. Now, any rust spots, exposed Bondo or anything like that? No, man. It was a it was a pretty it was pretty in shape, man. Actually, it was in pretty good shape. You know, back in those days, we didn't really track miles per gallon, but I, I would imagine, and people don't those old Honda Civics used to get like forty miles a gallon when nobody was even tracking. Miles yeah, and gas was like I remember being at Liberty, and gas was. I remember pulling into my apartment one day it was eighty eight cents a gallon. They're right before my apartment. So those were those were great days, man. Right. It was good because I didn't have any money. So that worked out well. Right. Okay. All right. So tell me one book that you what's the most suggested book that you find yourself giving people? Leadership Pain by Sam Chand. Leadership Pain is is in that top that top five book I've ever read category and uh, a must read for anybody in leadership. Awesome. All right. A childhood moment where you were scared the most. Childhood moment where I was scared the most. Probably one day I came home from school. My mom, mom and dad both worked. I came in from school and I saw a truck in the backyard. And, you know, it was back during the time that, you know, if you see a white van, you know, avoid the white van. You don't want to get kidnapped. And there's this big white. (laughs) truck parked by my house. And I remember sprinting out of my house over to a neighbor's house, calling my mom at the bank, telling her somebody was in our backyard and find out it was the guys emptying the septic tank. So, I mean, other than that, it was a pretty, pretty uneventful. So I was told to go back home and give them the check that was on the counter. So that was, that was probably it actually. In the world of church creativity, there is a series to be made called avoid the white van. Avoid the white man. Absolutely. <laughs> because Absolutely. We just had a conversation at Orphan. Daryl was looking at getting an orphan aid van for us for events and those kind of things. And he he was stuck on the white van. And all of us were kind of like, eh, are we going to wrap that with anything? He's like, well, I'll just put a sticker on the back. I'm like, eh. Yeah. His, his yeah. son looks at, yeah, no. A tad, no. Look, a, a tad creepy, man. Yeah. A tad creepy. Uh, not the, yeah, not the creeper van. Yes. All right. Your favorite athlete. When you were growing up, golly, favorite athlete growing up, man. For I was a pitcher, so in baseball, I loved Tom Seaver. That was my guy. I loved how he pitched. I loved uh, man his style. I loved the whole thing about Tom Seaver. I always wanted him on the Braves. Never right. was a Brave, but yeah. uh, man, Tom Seaver was my guy. Yeah, and it was that was back in the days we didn't have like ESPN Sports Center to watch no, guys man. constantly. Oh, you, you watched Baseball Buddies on yep. Saturday morning with Johnny Bench and and uh, Ozzie Smith, and then you would catch NBC would do their broadcast. And, of course, anytime they were on the, the Superstation, you know, back then. Right. I would always catch a game with Seaver pitching yep. against the Braves. Yeah, there was a great article that recently – you may have seen it floating around on – ESPN did on uh, Dale Murphy – um, and they talked about the TBS kids of the 80s. Wow. The guy who had done the interview uh, grew up in Mississippi, grew up a Braves fan, grew up a Dale Murphy fan. And it was a it was a long article. It was a great article. That's cool. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah, that was the those were the days, man. That was all that was on. That's it. That's it. Yep. All right. If you could spend an afternoon with anyone, who would it be? Man. I could spend an afternoon with anybody alive or dead. What would you say? Anybody. Anybody. Live or dead. Son. 
I, you know, the easy answer, of course, is Jesus. That's the, that's the natural answer. We'll get to spend eternity with him, which is going to be awesome. You know, I would, I would probably say the apostle Paul, I think it would be fascinating to hear his take on not only his conversion, but the, the links he went through to take the gospel all across that, that known world at the time and what led him to write so diligently, because if we didn't have his writings and the Holy Spirit hadn't prompted that, man, we'd be, we'd be lacking a lot of our New Testament now. So I think it'd probably be Apostle Paul, outside Jesus, of course, the Apostle Paul. Right. And that, you know, that, and that's one of those ones where it's almost, <laughs> you, you wonder what he would think of you. Like if Paul was yeah. around me and he watched me in my day, he would be, I just have a feeling he would wonder, why are you sitting around so much? Yeah, yeah. He would think I was a wuss. But other than that, I, I want to ask him questions. I don't want him to ask me anything. Right, I just want yeah, to ask yeah, him right. questions. Yeah, 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 just one way, one way. Yep. All right, real Christmas tree or fake Christmas tree? We do fake because we have so many. Yes, we have a Christmas forest at our house. Oh, so yeah. It's not even a Christmas tree. That's so because there's so many, we have fake. <laughs> yeah, that's become a thing. You got to have a yep. tree in every room. That's right. All right. If there was a movie about your life, who would you want to play your role? Movie about my life, man. I, you know, I I would probably choose Tom Hanks because I would hope that, that I, my life would be as likable as he comes across in movies. So I'd say Tom Hanks probably. Yeah, that's solid. That's solid. Um, That would also be uh, some kind of, it would win an award too. Yeah, well, I mean, that would always be helpful. <laughs> um, all right, this, so this is the end of the summer. This um, is applicable to us in Georgia, especially. Whitewater or Six Flags? Definitely Six Flags. Going to have to take my shirt off. I mean, I'm at the point of life now that, <laughs> that there's just some things about me people don't need to know. You know what I mean? So well, you know, definitely Six Flags. I think this is, you if you when you go you go to Whitewater, you sometimes get a confidence boost. You're like, hey, you know what? Things aren't so bad. Yeah, I, I could take my shirt off. <laughs> yeah, I might be. I might be on the other side of that right now. So <laughs> I'm the one giving everybody else a confidence boost. <laughs> awesome. All right, Mike. So this is where um, this is where we shift into the podcast. So at some point in your life, when you were coming through, you felt that you were being called and pushed in a direction. Do you have a a story or a or a time or a moment? that is very significant in your, in your, in your life where you lifted up the anchor to pursue what God was calling you could call you to do. And could you tell us that story? Yeah, man, I, I think that, you know, it's funny as you look back on life, I think there's been multiple leaving of the port, you know, because I think wherever we are and whatever we're going through, we have a tendency to love comfort and to drop that anchor and, and not to, even though we risk it once, we don't want to risk it twice. And I think in the spiritual journey, we find out that leaving, leaving and letting go is never easy. So I think the first time I remember, I was 17 years old. We were at a student retreat in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And my pastor at the time, Ike Reichard, was doing our um, sessions there on the, there's a ski retreat, winter retreat. And I remember he came down and prayed over all of us. And I remember him whispering in my ear, that God was going to use me to do great things. And man, I, I remember that. I remember that feeling of going, 
okay, I, I think I know what I want to do. And then in college, making that decision that, that ministry was going to be what my pursuit was going to be. Really, after my freshman year, you know, you learn that I was a baseball player and I learned that, you know, baseball wasn't in the cards for the future and there's got to be something else and something more. And making that decision to leap and making that decision to go the ministry route. And then definitely I would say in, in the year 1996, I was a student pastor with decently successful student ministry and it had gone really well. We'd gotten very comfortable, been there five and a half years and the group had grown. And uh, I remember knowing that there was something more. And I remember it was October of 96 when Ike, that same pastor, and I made a decision to start a church together called North Star. And I remember walking in my pastor's office to tell him that I was going to be stepping down. And that was, the, that was the big one because now it wasn't just me making a decision. Now it was me with a with a wife and a, with a son at the time who was three and my wife was pregnant with my daughter. We're dreaming of, we're leaving shore to plant a church. That was the, that was the game changer one. And um, so, yeah, man, I've had multiple ones in multiple sense, but that was definitely in, in 90 and 96. And we started North Star in 97. That was the, the big, Man, I pulled it up and and stepped out on the dock and said, "I'm ready, willing, and able. Let's go." So that was the big one. Awesome. Yeah, it's um, you know, there's so many you just covered. What's interesting is when somebody tells their story, they cover so many like a like such a gap in time of all the things that happen in between. And um, what I've learned in life is you kind of romanticize when you see other people making that step or going in certain directions. Uh, you almost romanticize that step that they've made. And it it seems as if it's not as difficult when somebody else makes it right. That when it's time for you to take it, you've (laughs) in my experiences, I felt like my step, whatever direction I go in is always a more significant of a decision than somebody else's step. That's correct. Um, But yeah, when you uh, it's interesting when you, when with the church plant step uh, from an outsider's perspective, if you haven't, that's like changing. I mean, that's, you're going from a very known life. Oh man. To a very, especially at the time, Mike, because the church planning movement really wasn't, what what year was that again? That was 97. So we North Star cranked up January 5th, 1997. And at that time in West Cobb County, where there is a church now in every school at that time, there was one, one church that I know of meeting in a school out in West Cobb. And so it was like, it was like the, the, uh, the wild, wild west in the sense of you're going out west, really not knowing what you're going to find. Right. And, you know, and it was weird. People thought it was crazy. People thought, and, and you go from, Hey, I'm going to run down the hall and make copies and I'm going to get the church van and take the kids somewhere. And I'm going to, you know, flip on the lights in our student room. And then all of a sudden you don't have any of that. Right. Nothing. And, and you're beginning from scratch and, and you're like, well, we need preschool equipment and we need, we need mic stands and music stands and we need, you know, all that stuff. And so it was a, it was a culture shock 
number one, stylistically culture shock. Number two, it was a culture shock on you really, and, and you don't want to, this sounds terrible, but you only eat what you kill. So it wasn't waiting for people to just show up, man. You got, you got super busy getting out there, loving on people, knowing if I, if I don't do this and they don't know about the church, I may not get paid next week. And so it was a definite, you know, a definite shift in attitude and philosophy and strategy. Yeah. And that was while you were, you know, while you were talking, I wrote down a note of um, kind of coming from the, coming from the church plant world myself, but after a couple of nearly two decades of it being something that people were kind of doing of having to reach the community. And you talked about that shift of, it's almost a priority shift of how a church carries itself. That's right. Of having to, you have to intentionally reach the community that's around you in, in ways that resonate with that community. Um, not bringing something to them that you suggest that they need, but community with what they need. So tell me, tell us a little bit how, um, what was it? Was it a sense of necessity that that made that decision, or was there was there part of the decision to go that direction from going to the known church environment to a new church environment? Was yeah, it was a. I would say this, Jacob. I think it was a strategy for us, and we we made a decision early on. And I remember we brought in a gentleman, Ike. Um, had a friendship with a gentleman named Steve Shogren out of the Cincinnati Vineyard Church up in Cincinnati. And he had written a book called Conspiracy of Kindness that I could stumbled on. And man, we fell in love with it. And I remember Steve coming to speak to our staff and he looked at our team and he said, don't go plant a church, go to reach a city. And I remember, I remember Ike and I and our team at that time, mulling over that because that's a whole different ball game. Planting a church, man, we're going to plant, we're going to do our thing, but going to reach a city means it is, it is going to be an outward focused deal. And so we made a decision from the very first time. In fact, the very first event that we ever did was serving We served at a high school before we had our, ever had our first service. We sponsored a basketball banquet, basketball tournament. We came in and provided hospitality and all that stuff. And we were telling them we're North Star Church. We didn't even exist yet. But we wanted to establish from the very beginning this theme and this passion. It's not about us. It is not about us. It is about our community. And, man, one of our first hires there pretty soon after starting first year or two was a a gentleman named Marlon who came in as the pastor of the community. And we, you know, we used to have a phrase we used back in the day, we want to be the first call for help. When the mayors and the the social workers and the principals and the police chiefs and and there's a crisis in the community. We wanted one of the 365 people, the people that are on the ground, boots on the ground every day to go, you know what? I don't know who to call, but I know I can call North Star. Wow. And you only get there by serving. And so I remember those first days going out saying, hey, we want to, what can we do for you? And I remember the look people would give me like, nobody's ever asked me that before. Nobody's yeah. ever, and it, and it wasn't any, we don't want anything in return. We, we just, we, we want to serve you. We want to help you. We want to make, make this place a little bit better. And, uh, 
man, it was a, it was, it was pretty crazy. Now we're so used to it that we don't think a lot about it because we've done it for so long and you've become part of the community. But back then, man, it was like deer in the headlights. People, it would almost, it was almost the, well, just prove it. You know, just right. we're, we're going to give you long enough. We've heard that before. Now we're going to ask you guys to prove it. And man, it, it, that was, that was those beginning days, but it was a strategy and it was intentional. No doubt about it. Yeah. And that's, um, it's almost as that's that, that strategy is so biblical of what the community, the, the community has one idea of church that we, that we is a hurdle for us today, but then there's a reality of what the church should be to the community. And it's, it's awesome that you guys did that. Cause I can only imagine, you know, 1997, how many other churches, um, were impacted by that locally that went on to kind of follow that blueprint and went out to reach their community. Have you, have you guys ever thought about how that your impact has built other churches, whether that be churches you guys have planted out of there or people who kind of watch what you were doing through coaching sessions or, or whatever. Oh, it's, it, it, it's a lot. And man, we are so thankful. And a lot of them have done it better than we've done it. And that's the part we love because yeah. here, here's the craziest part. Once you get it and once you see it, you begin to go, why would I not, why would I not do it that way? Yeah. And we, I'm telling you, man, we have no regrets on that. And so there's, you know, we've taught this in seminars. We've hosted conferences. I've traveled with uh, the enjoy stewardship group and done conferences in other States. We've done podcasts with Georgia Baptist convention on it because we believe in it. And I believe that it's biblical. You know, Jeremiah 29, seven says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And I'm telling you when your city prospers, you will prosper because more people, if the schools are good, more people want to live by the school. That's where people, they go for test scores. Yeah. If the, if the community is a positive, vibrant, growing, active community, then you're going to have more people that want to come to your church. It's just, it's a byproduct of it. And it's and it really, at the end of the day, I think scripture would teach us, it's not about us. I already know the answer. I'm good. But there's a lot of people out there that don't know, and they're not just showing up here on Sunday. Right. We've got to go out to where they are right. and serve them. And when we do, we all win. Yeah, there's one of the one of the authors that I read is a guy named Hugh Halter. Um, I've heard him say this before in one of his talks that um, our focus should be asking people over for dinner and establishing relationship first before we invite them to church. Yeah. That for some reason we've kind of, as, uh, as Christians, church folks, we, we build that wall up of almost, almost having the church invite as a check in the box of, Hey, I invited them to church, but we've never even invited them into our lives or tried to participate in, in theirs either kind of building that community first. Ab man, yeah. absolutely. And, and I think in church too, we are so guilty of creating a program and then going out and going, Hey, 
here's what we got, come see it, rather than sitting down with somebody going, what do you need? And then creating that the program around their need and then taking it to them. So it addresses something that they already have rather than us guessing what they need. You create a program around what they need. Right. And so it, it has been, so every year we sit down with the school principals and these key people and we sit down and say, tell us your greatest needs and how we can pray for you and how we can serve you. And then we do our very best to design our community ministry around the needs that are presented. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, that's such a great model. Um, it's a model that we've employed. Um, and, I, you know, it's kind of one of those things of when you talk about that is something you guys have been doing so long. I just can't help but think that at some point, at some way, in some root and branch that that made its way to our town up in Cartersville. And uh, you guys impacted us as well. So that's awesome to hear. Well, thank you, man. It's, it's, a, it's cool to look out and see this being embraced because – I think it's what Jesus, I think it's what Jesus had in mind. I really do. (laughs) I don't think we came up with it. I think we hopefully tapped into it and are uncovering. We're still figuring it out too. Right. Grief. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the, one of the questions that I was thinking about was when you were, when you were growing up, we all kind of had impacts Were the parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, or a coach. Is there somebody that you may have as a child growing up, who, who, who modeled, who modeled a life that helped you get to take that step to pull that anchor up? Somebody who may, when you were coming through life, who, who you could point to, could be several people, but that one person who you'd point to, be like, wow, that was a, they were the example. Yeah, definitely for me, it was, I had phenomenal parents, um, but in the ministry context and, and really in a faith context in a lot of ways, Ike, the guy I've spoken about, Ike Reichert, he's now the CEO of Must Ministries and the pastor at Piedmont Church in Marietta. Um, Ike was my pastor growing up, and man, he, Ike had that ability to see something in someone and call it out and push them towards it. And he was the one that had whispered that in my ear. And I remember being in student ministry and really slipping in the comfortable mode. And every time Ike and I would talk, he would ask me this question, are you being stretched? Are you, are, are you, are you doing something that stretches you? And man, it was, he was that guy that, that I always felt like I couldn't keep up with, you know, he was yeah. moving at such a pace. It pushed me to move quicker. So I definitely think he would be that guy. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it, it's so all of the stories that we've talked about, there's always somebody who, who pushes and it's one of those revealing moments to think that we're in that spot. We're, we are all that spot, that person for somebody else Yeah. every day that it could be, you know, obviously we have our children. If you have kids, you have your children who are, who you're influencing every day, but then there, there's, there are, there are those people that are almost seemingly in passing that impact our lives kind of with the same, the same push or guiding down a certain path. Uh, so that's awesome. All right. So Mike, one of the things you talked about earlier was uh, when you were at Liberty playing baseball, that you kind of had that decision your freshman year that you were going in that direction. Um, could you elaborate a little bit at the time, if you could go back in, go back in time, get in the time machine, get in the time machine phone booth and yeah, 
go back and tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I think every, I think every kid has the, the grandeur in their eyes of, man, I'm going to, you know, if you play ball that I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it to the big. So college is a stopping off point. I thought getting out of high school, I had the potential to get drafted. I did not get drafted. So I signed division one scholarship up to Liberty school in Virginia. I'm from Atlanta, from South Atlanta and uh, went up to Virginia to play. And, you know, I got on that field my freshman year and I saw what that next level looked like. And that wasn't the minor leagues. It was just college baseball. And I saw that though I worked hard and I was decently good, I wasn't, that was going to be the last uh, stop on the train for me. (laughs) And I got it. I mean, I understood it. And I ended up playing on, I played three years, coached a year uh, at Liberty. So, but I knew after that freshman year, okay, all right. Baseball, baseball is is a is a great sport for me, but it is not my life, and it's not where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. And so it was good. I'm glad. I am glad that I saw that and that I learned that. I'm thankful, and thankful that you know I got it. And and I interned that first summer in student ministry of my freshman year, and I thought, man, that's something I really enjoy. And then spent the next two summers working at a camp called Super Wow here in Georgia. It was a big student camp. Back then it was huge. Yeah. And spent my summers down there at Super Wow speaking and teaching as a college student. And I thought, this is this is fun to me. And so, you know, I the revelation of baseball, you know, there's a thing for pitchers called an ERA. Yeah. And mine was terrible. So that was that was a good revelation. This probably isn't going to be a career thing yeah. and a forever thing. So yeah, I mean, it was just a okay. That door, that door is going to shut one day. Now I'm gonna finish up my career here at Liberty, but I'm not playing baseball after this. So what is my career going to be? And I knew it would either be ministry, full time, or coaching and teaching. I was going to be doing one of those two things. Yeah. And you know, I remember a good friend saying, "Man, you, if you can think of anything else besides ministry, you'd rather do go do it." But if you can't, it's probably what you're supposed to do. And that's what I, that was the, that was the jump in that I made. Yeah. And that's, um, and, and like you said, so at the time you were looking to possibly in full-time ministry and or teaching or coaching. And according to my book that I've got here, you're still doing all of those things. I am. That's right. Yeah. I sure am. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your responsibility at Altoona High School, some of the things that you do there, because you do some, that's just one of those, just another example of being engaged in the community. Yeah, so uh, it was funny. My um, my son decided his going into his freshman year of high school to go to Alatoona. It was a brand-new school opening in 2008. And um, so I said, man, if that's what you want to do, he was, he was set to go to a great high school in our community. And he said, you know, I just want to go to a – I want to go to a new school. So he signed up to, to, to go to Alatoona. They had space. They accepted him. And I was approached that summer, I take it back, approached that spring of um, 08 by a, a good friend of mine that was going to be on the football coaching staff and the athletic director that was going to be at this new school and said, hey, would you consider being our football chaplain? And I, I remember saying, you know, I, I didn't play football. I'm a football fan, but I didn't play. I don't really know what I have to offer. 
but I'll try it. So I remember meeting the head coach and this coach that I knew and the athletic director at Steak and Shake up here in uh, Akron. We spent a lot on that big meal to, to, uh, to get this thing nailed down. And I remember going, what do you want? And the head coach, it was his first time being a head coach. He's like, I'm really not sure. Let's just feel it out as we go. And, man, that began a journey. So now I'm on my 11th season with them. Um, as the team pastor, wow. phenomenal, man. I love it. I go to practice, if not every day, three days a week, I'm at the practice. I don't stay the whole time, but I'm there to hang out with the coaches and the kids. My son was going in ninth grade at the time. Now he is the high school pastor at our church and does it with me. Wow. So he goes out there to love on the kids and I go out there to love on the coaches. So wow. it's awesome. Yeah, and then I, he played baseball. And so I was a part of the baseball program just as a parent, I would coach summer and fall teams, but not spring. And when he graduated in 2012, they invited me to come on as the varsity pitching coach. And so I've been doing that since uh, 2013. So yeah. And love it, man. It's a, it's neat because when you're sitting in the bullpen working with a kid on their, on their mechanics and their uh, delivery and, and the mental part of the game, you get to – you aren't a pastor to them. You're a coach. Right. But yet you see the power of coaching because of the time you get to spend and the, and the deposits you get to make. And, and so, man, I, I wouldn't trade it for all the world. It's a lot of time. And it would, it would be nice to go home every day at four. It would be great. But I love being able to make that investment. And I, and I love athletics. So it's a great way to do both things. All right, so you also chaplain, has been a chaplain for the Atlanta Falcons. Yep. So, yeah, so funny. So, I made the commitment to do Alatoona that fall, never really having done it, and then through a, a buddy of mine that's in the baseball world, he connected me with the chaplain of the Falcons, and we hooked up, and I began to do chapel services. And so, typically, I would go down two to three times a year, once in the preseason, once in the regular season, if they made postseason, and do a chapel service for the – so they have a chaplain for the team that works with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yeah. And then they bring in guest chaplains. And uh, so I started that run in 08 and, and had done two to three times a year minimum till last year they went a different direction with how they did it. I think they're going to revert back to the old a – little, a little back to the old way. But, um, yeah, man, I did it for years. So it was awesome right, to be so, around those guys. All right. So with that experience, how how different is it with – I mean, there's still – most of the guys are still in their 20s, but how different of an environment, once you got past the professionalism of the game, your exchanges with the guys, give some kind of example. What is what, – what, yeah. what is that – how does that compare? Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely there's going to be a little more maturity – from the professional and some of them are dads and husbands and all that. But what's so interesting, I remember one night I did a, uh, I think we were doing the life of Joshua. So every year I do a character study through a, uh, somebody's life. And I think the year was Joshua, if I remember correct. And I said, and, and we were doing the do not fear, you know, be strong and courageous, do not fear um, passage, Joshua 1, 9. And I remember on Friday night I did it and I said, what are your, what are your biggest fears? And I remember kids going, you know, and I got 10th graders, 11th graders, 12th graders. You know, I don't want to let anybody down. I don't want to fail. You know, I don't want to do something that makes me stand out. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to not make a difference, you know, those kind of things. So Saturday night, I did the exact same chapel service 
for the Falcons. And sitting in this room are guys making more money than I, more money in one season than I'll make my entire life. Yeah. And I remember going, all right, guys, what are your fears? I don't want to let anybody down. I don't want to fail. I don't want to. And, and it was the same thing. The difference is as you get older, the fear of failure gets a little higher because you got more stakes in it. So now it's a career. It's not just a game. Now it's, I got a family at home, not just me. So same fears, they're just squared. They're just multiplied a little bit, but they're the same. They're the same kids. They're just a little bit older. No doubt about it. Yeah. And that's, what's interesting about fear. Fear, we are afraid of something that hasn't happened yet. Correct. So it's, we're afraid of the potential of failure while we have yet to make the decision to pursue the thing that we could fail. So we're afraid of something that hasn't even happened yet. Yes. Gosh, that's I, exactly right. If there was a way to get over that, then lifting the anchor would be so much easier. To it take. would be. Yeah. We, I was talking to, um, I was talking to a gal on my podcast the other day, an interview that'll come out uh, next spring. And, I, you know, we were talking about the lessons he's learned that whatever his greatest adversity is, is always going to lead him to the biggest blessing. And he said, man, wouldn't it be great if we could ever reach the point where we just knew that we knew instinctively God's going to come through. And I remember Andy Stanley years ago talking about the life of Joseph and Andy said, what if we operated? What if we operated like God is always going to come through? Wow. God always is going to take care of us. God is all, he said, how much more confidence would we live with? That's what, jo that's what Joseph knew. And God was with Joseph. And so somehow he kept making these positive decisions, knowing that God was going to come through for him. And that's truth, isn't it? And, but we don't live that way. I don't live that way all the time. No, you know, I definitely would, would lean on the golly, how's this going to work and how's this going to happen and how's this going to, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, man, absolutely. It would, it would be revolutionary for us if we were able to live that way. Yeah. And it's all we look at. It seems that all that we, even after we've made the decision to pursue something, um, a big decision in a certain direction, we still, I still have a tendency to look at the dark cloud yeah. That's on a horizon. I, I will look to a horizon to find wherever the dark cloud is at and go, Oh no, there's a dark cloud over there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult, it's difficult to keep that focus. Um, with your current leadership team uh, at North star, is there something that you guys, is there a main point of emphasis for your team right now? Or, or it could be something that you guys are laser focused on at, for a, a few years, was there something like a main point of emphasis right now for your leadership team? You know, right now, man, we're in the season of, you know, we, we celebrate our 20th anniversary on, uh, in 2017. And we began a journey over those five years of what next was for North star. And when we had a great first 20, what are the next five going to look like? And so we are beginning campaign. In fact, this Sunday, called Be Bold, and where we're going to challenge our church to be bold in ways they've never been bold before. And, you know, we've been, we've done a lot, but man, the, the lostness in our community is still great. And it's not going to change by us sitting back. It's no. only going to change by our bold, our boldness. And uh, man, it's going to, 
it's it's uh, it's something that it's something that is challenging to me and challenging to you know who I am as a man and who I am as a person and am I being bold you know am I am I trusting am I am I am I knowing that God's got this thing and so that's the uh, yeah that's it that's it right there yeah so with this so you got a, a series coming up called Be Bold. And I know you guys have, this wouldn't be the first time that you guys have discussed with your folks uh, about stepping out of faith and boldness. Do you have any no. kind of, any any of your folks uh, that has fallen under your leadership in the past who have come to you either while they were making a decision to step out in faith to lift their anchor and go a certain direction or that have made that move and came to you later to kind of tell you the story of where they are today. You have any examples of some? Oh yeah, man. We've got tons of them. Yeah. Tons of them, man. We've, you know, we've had guys go on the mission field. We've had guys go plant churches. We've had guys. I remember there's a, there's a gentleman, his name is Roscoe Lilly. Roscoe pastors in Clifton Park, New York. And I remember him coming to me saying, man, I thought God's called us to plant a church in Clifton Park, New York, where the percentage of unchurched is like 98% unchurched. And, uh, but man, God's called us and he and his wife sold everything down here and moved their family up to upstate New York and planted what at that time was North Star Church. They changed it now. There's a North, uh, there's another North view or something up there and it was getting confused. So they're called the star now. Um, but he went up there, man. And I remember those first two or three weeks, it was he and his wife and like one other couple showing up for the services and he, and he was calling me going, man, I think I've blown it. I think I've made the biggest mistake And about three or four weeks into it. People started to show up and now he runs a couple hundred people a weekend. He is changing lives. In fact, he's going to be here in the community. We're going to be introducing him to North star at the end of the month because I want our people to know a story and man, it's, it's phenomenal, but I could replicate that story 50 times. Wow. With, with well, even people just changing careers right. or changing the focus of their career. The career used to be about them and their advancement. And now their career is about making much of God's kingdom through coaching or through leading a company or through whatever it may be. So golly, you know, and, and here's the danger, Jacob, the day we don't hear those stories anymore. That's not good, man. Yeah. Yep. That means it's not active. So. Right. Yeah. That's, um, that's super impressive. It's, and, and here's the thing. The reality is, is you're, you're, there's probably a lot of stories that you're not even hearing um, that you had an impact on at some spoke at some events. One of your leaders at your church may have been a coworker of someone and they saw that coworker who was a North star attendee or somebody who had seen you speak or somebody from your leadership team speak or fall into that leadership who as a byproduct of, of that, of that umbrella made a decision to step out in faith. That's what's so contagious about all this because um, it, just the, the, the steps that I have personally taken, I can just think of all of the things that prepared me and were poured into me, all of the people if I could really point to all of them, it would take me so long to say, really, yeah. here's what you have done and here's what has happened because of that. Uh, but it's just, it's great to see. It's just great to see what you guys do there at North star, but it's also great to see how others in the community <laughs> are making those same steps. Well, it's so funny. I was teaching, um, 
I don't even know where I was. And we were talking about all this. And I said, you know, the funny thing is I, I was willing to take more risk when I was 28 than I am now. You know, the older you get, the, the less we like risk. Right. I mean, I was, you know, here I am. We're jumping off starting a new church when I'm 28. Got a child on the way. I didn't think anything about it. Now at 49, I'd be a lot more uh, cautious. Got to re, you know, I got to think it through. And so I don't ever want to reach the place that we don't, we don't take risk anymore. And that's super easy to do, man. It's super easy to get to that place to where we go. Oh, well, we, you know, we're good now. We, we don't, we don't have to do that anymore. And uh, man, the day we, the day we don't do that, we're probably going to dry up to be honest with you. And, and so it's a challenge to, to, to keep that. And that's kind of where it's, what I'm hoping some that we're able to reach people with in this podcast is to be able to, to have people when they're weighing that risk and weighing that thing that they patiently just take one baby step, step towards what the God's called them to do. That's right. That's good. Good word right there, buddy. Good word. All right. So if there was something you could tell your 20 year old self, when you're getting ready to lead and step out in faith and you just talked about your 28 year old self and taking risks, there's something you could tell your 20 year old self. If you were standing by yourself in that time machine, what is there anything, any advice that you would give yourself? God is trustworthy. You can trust him. That's what I would tell myself. Wow. In spite of, in spite of circumstances, in spite of what things may tell you, you can trust him. So trust awesome. him. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, Mike, Man, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you being on this podcast with us today. Love Period Podcast is, um, we're so excited about the direction we're going. We're super appreciative that you were on here with us today. Uh, we can't, we, we look forward to downloading your podcast, Lynch with the Leader. Uh, if anybody listening to ours, uh, go download, go subscribe to Lynch with the Leader. He's got some phenomenal guests, phenomenal content. It's, I can't, I mean, it's, it's, you're right up there at the top. You're on my iTunes number one. Come on, baby. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I wish there were more people like you, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, no, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much, Mike. Dude, you're awesome, Jacob. Thank you, buddy. All right, guys. We'll see you. Hey, before we go, guys, just want to say thanks for joining us with this great conversation with Mike. Such an inspirational story to hear Mike talk about his history, his past, how he took those steps, those leaps of faith, those early steps in the beginning to pursue what God was calling calling him to do. North Star is doing such a phenomenal job serving people in the community, and that is a direct reflection to Mike being obedient to what he was created to do. Guys, thank you so much for downloading this episode with the Love Period Podcast. We just hope that this story was just one little spark to help ignite your passion. If you would, please go ahead and subscribe, if you haven't already, to the Love Period Podcast in iTunes. And you can also subscribe through our RSS feed as well. You can check us out at OrphanAidLiberia.org to find out more about us at the Love Period Podcast and who we are at Orphan Aid Liberia. We can't wait to share with you guys the next story. Thank you so much for being with us today on this episode of the Love Period Podcast. We'll see you all next time.